So we are here with this theme of generation to generation, and uh, it's not just about being multi-generational, but also having an intergenerational expression. And one of the things that might surprise you, because you know I forgot to button the top button on my T-shirt, is that I am technically a millennial. I was born in 1980. I think some people cut off uh, millennials at 1980. Some do it at 1982. Either way, uh, Marsha and or I are millennials, and there's a part of me that resents that. I don't like identifying myself as a millennial. I never thought I was until I did a little more research into it, and uh, because I identify with the older generation and that work ethic. I am a first-generation immigrant from a very traditional Korean family to the United States. And so I like to think that I have certain values that mark the older generation rather than the newer generation. And I would say that as somebody who was practicing law and had the opportunity to see younger attorneys come in beside me, I was quite annoyed by millennials. <laughs> they didn't do simple things like just obeying orders without asking questions. They didn't do things like staying after work because you want to make your boss happy. Everything was about, I want to be inspired. I want to feel like I want to make a difference. Um, and for me, as an older attorney, I'm like, just get it done. Like, I don't need to have a conversation with you. Just this is your assignment. This is your job. We're paying you a salary. Get it done. Millennials, more so than I think I like to think of myself and uh, older generations, they like things to be authentic. They care about the experience. They're actually adventurous and daring, and they want some purpose in their work. They want to make sure that the work is meaningful. And um, now that I'm not practicing law, now that I'm not in the corporate world, and I am a church planner, thank God that millennials are that way. Because actually, One Light Church in Chiang Rai, Thailand, was planted on the backs of millennials. Um, all but one person that was a part of our 17-person church planning team, um, they're millennials. And even now, we have millennials watching after our kids um, as we're away, and they're the ones that are leading the church, and it's just been an amazing thing to see because they're adventurous, they're daring. They were willing to go to Thailand with us. When they believe in something... They will commit to it and do it well. And you don't need to prod them and say, hey, don't, you should be doing this. You should be doing this. Like, I know I'm supposed to be doing it, and I enjoy doing it, and that's why I do it. And I wanted to share a little bit from the Old Testament, from uh, the book of 1 Samuel, um, around chapter 14, because I know these guys lived thousands of years ago, but there is a little bit of a millennial story in that book as it pertains to Saul Jonathan and his armor bearer. So I just want to read 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 6 to 7. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Now, this passage is used a lot to inspire people to go and take mountains and do things that um, might be challenging and difficult, but I thought I might add a little bit of context to give you an idea of the intergenerational failure that led to this story happening. The Philistines, the enemies, were occupying the promised land. They had come to a place called Michmash, which was a high point in the territory of Israel, and they had encamped there and were 
terrorizing and intimidating the Israelites and the Israel army. And what God was going to do in this season, after the amazing conquest the first time around under Joshua's leadership and the failure of the judges, was to restore the promised land and all of it back to the Israelites. And he set a king over them in Saul and said, Saul, I want you to go to Gilgal. This is the place where when the Israelites crossed over the River Jordan, God said, you guys need to remember this. You're going to lay 12 stones down so that from generation to generation, you're going to be able to declare what God did through his mighty hand. And then the new generation that was uh, not able to be circumcised in the desert, they were circumcised, and this became the base camp from which Joshua engaged in the conquest of Canaan. And this is what the Lord said, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, and skipping ahead, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the, mighty, that the hand of the Lord is mighty. This is what they were supposed to remember. But what happened was Saul got nervous. He looked at the army of the Philistines and didn't do what God had commanded him to do. He didn't wait there for God to show up and help him. Um, he actually ends up going home. So we see in 1 Samuel 14, 1 to, 2, 1 to 2, One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Because he knew what his father was going to say. Don't do it. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah, which is his hometown, taking care of home base in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Saul was supposed to wait there at Gilgal. They were supposed to remember what God had done previously for the Israelites. He was supposed to declare the excellencies and the might of God to the Israelites and watch him give that land back into the territory of Israel. But he lost his nerve and he goes back home. This is why Jonathan is so frustrated. I know they have that stronghold, and it's a high position, and it's the, the militarily superior position. But don't you remember what God did at Gilgal for Joshua and for the Israelites? Don't you remember that? They are in our land. This is our territory. This is our promised land, and our God is mighty, and he will fight for us. What are you doing, Dad, back at home? What are you doing? What was Saul doing? He was actually living out his practical wisdom. Because although he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else, Scripture says that in his own eyes, he saw himself as very little. And we see that the Israelite army were tremendously outnumbered. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude, they come up, came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth Haven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, the people, for the people were hard pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in foxholes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. Um, and then we also see later that he was also outgunned. So on the day of battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan, but Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. Actually, I don't think Saul was a coward at all. He did what was wise. He did what practically made sense. 
you're outnumbered. They had 30,000 chariots. You only have 600 men. You don't even have the weapons that are necessary for war. And they have the superior position. Who would want to go up and fight under those types of circumstances? You know, when um, I got here, Alan, he nudged me and he said, hey man, you really got to promo my book. It's outside and we got to sell it. We're not going to be able to get the kids home unless we sell a certain number of books. Is that a good enough, Alan? <laughs> but, you know, I had the privilege of being on Al's eldership team when he came to us with this three-in-three three vision. He wanted to plant three churches in three years. And, you know, it was a, a Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth context. He wanted to plant a church nearby, plant a church somewhere in North America, plant a church in a world-day context like Thailand. And you know what was interesting when Alan first came with it? You know, the older people in our church, they started to say, well, you know what, we're a medium-sized church. Do we have the people to send out over and over again in order to do this? Do we have the financial resources? Aren't we in debt? How are we going to do this? There were people who also said things like, well, what about the kids' ministry? What about the kids' ministry? Aren't you going to spend some resources on that? Um, but I will tell you what, I guess in this kind of a sense, I was a millennial. When Alan came with that three and th three vision, I said, great, tell me more. Tell me more. And actually, all of the young people in our church, the millennials, they also were paying attention. And so when we led a team of uh, people to do a short-term missions trip, a vision-casting trip to Thailand to see if God might give us that territory, there were nine people that came to Thailand with us, all ended up moving out with us. And of the 13 people that we led on that trip, 11 ended up making a cross-cultural move. Because these younger generations, they, they want to experience God for themselves. They want to experience his goodness and his might. They're not going to just take our word for it that he is good. They're not going to be content with just reading it in the Bible. They want to be engaged. They're adventurous. They're daring. And they're, wanna, they're going to want to see it for themselves. The hand of the Lord is mighty. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. This is the thing that they want to experience for themselves. And if you are in the Bowman generation, if you are in the older generation, please give all of the practical wisdom that you can, all of your experiences, all of the things that you've learned, the methodologies, those things are great. We need them. And we were beneficiaries of them in our story as well. But let the number one overriding wisdom be this thing that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and it's not about all of the practical numbers and having the best practical decisions made. It's about God coming through in power and doing what he wants to accomplish. And this is what I want to say to the younger generation. How many millennials in here? Plenty. Rigby. A millennial in heart. Millennial in heart. Do you want to see God do something big? Or do you want to have your way? You have to decide. You can't have it both ways. Jonathan and his armor bearer did, did a great work, but they were only able to displace about 20 people 
in a half a furlough's length in an acre of land. I don't even know how much land that is, but it doesn't sound like a large piece of territory. It doesn't seem like there was this massive movement of an army that took place to move the Philistines off their stronghold and out of their promised land. It actually took an army, it took a nation. First, it's Jonathan and his armor bearer, they move. And then Saul sees what's happening, and then he gathers his 600, and then he engages in the battle. And as the enemy is being moved off of the territory, we see that the turncoats who had turned from Israel and had started fighting with the Philistines instead, they're like, hey, look, we're going to lose. We're going to get killed by our own brothers. Let's join this fight. And then they join. And all of the people that were so terrified of the Philistines that they were hiding out in caves like foxes came out and joined the fight. And that's the kind of thing that it took in order to displace the enemy. And that's the kind of thing that your church leaders are going to be calling you into. There's so many people that we see outside in a frontier missionary context, young people, millennials, wanting an experience, wanting to, being able to look out into the world and realize Something's wrong. I got to do something about it. And then deciding that, you know what, there are too many older people that are just sitting in caves and then moving forward with their own individual missions. They come back very quickly to their home context. They get some stuff done. They certainly have an experience, but they don't get to see the moves of God that we see in Scripture. It takes an army, it takes a nation. It takes having the heart of the armor bearer. It's interesting that the armor bearer isn't named in this passage. His name isn't mentioned in this passage. And so much of the younger generation is about making a name for ourselves, isn't it? But it's not about our name. It's not about becoming famous. But his actions, his words, and his heart is recorded in Scripture. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. An amazing thing. And I am so thankful that as a part of my church planting team, I have millennials who said this to me and have engaged in mission with me in terms of this. All of the earth is going to be filled with the glory of God someday. Let me say that again. As surely as God lives, all of the earth is going to be filled with his glory. This is what the Lord has promised. The whole earth is ours. It's our inheritance. Our Father has promised it to us, and it has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Even now, he is demolishing strongholds all over the world, scattering the enemy, scattering darkness, and by his spirit, he will be with us every single step of the way. He will never leave us. And on top of that, he is going to do all of the heavy lifting. So I want to charge you guys, every single one of you in this room, you guys have a place in the story. Be on mission. Be on mission together. I feel strongly about this, okay, guys? Okay, guys? 